So I've managed to catch a little bit of a bug and have lost my voice for a bit. But the current thing right now is all about check template verify, BIP 119. And everybody is wigging the f out about it. So I figured it's time to pause, do a guy's take, and let's talk about CTV. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And today, we have a Guy's Take episode. And we're going to be talking about uh, the thing that everybody is arguing about at the moment. Um, that is CTV, Check Template Verify, a new opcode being proposed for Bitcoin. Well, it's actually, I mean, it's it's got some age on it. It's been around for a while. Um, as well as a number of proposed alternatives uh, that essentially do the same thing or enable the same thing. Uh, but uh, just for anybody who doesn't know, people who are totally lost when I say this, this is, so Bitcoin Scripts works on a series of opcodes of basically little instructions about what you can say a transaction is, the restrictions on a transaction or what you're able to do with a transaction, a, a address, a, an amount of Bitcoin that you own. That includes like time lock that's relative, like when it posts to the blockchain in X many blocks, uh, it's not spendable until that time passes, like all of these things. And the normal encumbrance, the normal script that everyone, uh, that everyone uses on every single transaction is a check SIG, is just did... Did you satisfy the signature? And that's how you know it's yours. Is that encumbrance on the on the uh, Bitcoin that you have received says that only if you have your private key can those Bitcoin move. But you can actually remove that too. You can send a Bitcoin transaction to a UTXO that just says anybody can have this shit. Um, so these are the basic scripts um, and to add another one doesn't necessarily do anything to any of the other ones, uh, any of the other scripts. Um, like, obviously, there's varying degrees of security risks and all these things, but depending on what that script is, uh, what the what the new opcode uh, does, um, and that's where CTV comes in. CTV is a new proposal that is largely being advertised as something that allows for covenants, and what a covenant is. And this is where I think a lot of the the FUD comes in, in both directions. And this is something that I kind of want to start out. Before I get into any of this, everybody, chill the fuck out. This is not that big of a deal. We're, we're going, this is, this is the development process, okay? Something got proposed outside of the typical avenues. That doesn't mean it's getting implemented. This can be easily rejected, and to everybody who's supporting it, this is not the scaling 
factor to end all scaling factors. The life and death of Bitcoin is not going to hinge on this. In fact, CTV seems kind of like its benefits are cool. Um, and I'll also say this, that I have not come down on either side. I am not for or against. I have been exploring, and I've also found Jeremy to be very helpful um, in actually having conversations with him. He does not even seem to, despite the fact that he has pushed this in the sense that he's gotten it out there and he wants conversation about it, and he seems a little bit fed up with the development process, from what I've picked up in, every, <clears throat> in everything is that he seems that he's being told that he's not doing things the proper way, but seems a little bit in the dark about what that proper way is. Um, so, uh, and, and there's a degree of fairness in, in that criticism, so to speak. Uh, but that's also coming from somebody like myself who does not really know the ins and outs of whatever established process has been so far. Like if I had to detail it out piece by piece, like what the, what the quote unquote handshake is, you know, like what the process is, I would not do good. Like if I had to do a paper on it last minute, you know, like, you know, I'm in school and, and you know, you know, you go to, you go to class and you're like, all right, well, at the end of the class, we're going to have our papers due. And you're like, oh shit, I didn't do that paper. Yeah. I would not be, I would not do good on this paper. I have a very, very vague idea, but I can easily see how the development environment can be frustrating. Um, and I think that's kind of necessarily the case. Um, any sort of change that this is the fundamental problem that we fall back to all the time. Any sort of change to Bitcoin means that we no longer have Bitcoin consensus, right? Like the beauty of Bitcoin, the thing that makes it such a revolutionary thing is the fact that we have consensus on Bitcoin, on the history, on the truth of what is a valid key and what isn't because we are all running our clients and all we have to do is defer to Bitcoin itself, to the, to the time chain. And it, it tells us what consensus is. And proof of work keeps that safe. It keeps it game theoretically secure and moving for, forward into the future so that that consensus is not altered. Like that is the beauty of this thing. That is the core fundamental innovation that is like a thousand year level breakthrough for organizing humanity with trade, with trade and the, the ability to obtain and measure value um, and exchange that, which has never been done before, which has never had horrible um, avenues for abuse and control. That's the breakthrough. As soon as we're trying to change that, as soon as we're trying to update our client to something that has a different set of rules, that consensus is dead. That is no longer viable. Now we are back to Twitter consensus. We are back to social consensus. We are back to community consensus, which is the whole problem. So understand, it is impossible for us to have this, con uh, have this conversation without it being a pain in the ass. So we're going to have to get over that. And everybody, calm down. We can take our time. This is not a rush in either direction. And this is kind of the very first thing out the gate that makes me think, uh, makes me extremely reluctant for speedy trial right now, just because nobody knows to a lot of people. And, you know, Jeremy kind of criticized me for saying this, but I still think it's true. Um, because as somebody who does this all day, every day, like, like I just do the Bitcoin thing, 
I didn't. I still don't really have a very strong grasp of what CTV, how CTV works. And I'm never, well, no, I'm not going to say never. I, it will be a very long time before I can really go through the code and read the lines and know for myself that like what it does, I'm always going to have to read the documentation. I'm always going to have to read the second layer, um, or excuse me, for a very, very long time. I hope to one day get past that. But right now, it is the case that I have to trust somebody else's explanation for it. But still, I can kind of understand the nit and gritty. And eventually, somebody will explain it in such a way that it can tell me exactly what happens in the opcode with the hashes, with the tree, how it commits to a thing, etc., etc. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But there are plenty of things that we can dispel, that we can dig into, that I think are everybody is so on the wrong page about. Um, on both sides. On both sides. I see it from literally the people claiming that we must do BIP 119 now. And just for, just for the people who literally don't know what the hell fuck I'm talking about, BIP 119 is the proposal for CTV, so I'm kind of using them interchangeably. If I say CTV, we're talking about BIP 119 being implemented and vice versa. But then I see uh, a lot of very, very incorrect FUD on the people who are aggressively against it. And I think a lot of them don't realize that there's multiple other proposals that attempt to do the exact same thing that CTV does, and that most of the developers are not against, against it for the reason that a lot of people on Twitter seem to be. So that's where we're going to start. That's where I want to start this episode. We are just going to go through the major claims on both for and against that I think are just generally inaccurate or uh, heavy, heavy exaggerations of the truth. Basically useless in what we should be doing in regarding judgment of this thing. Now, before we get into the meat, I just want to thank uh, my two amazing sponsors right now. We've got the BitBox Hardware Wallet. This is a simple, secure way to hold your Bitcoin keys. You have to withdraw your coins from the exchange. It is imperative that you do not rely on third parties, especially in our current environment. And the BitBox is the hardware wallet. It's the device that you need for safe cold storage. That's it. That's why I like it. I use it. And the place to buy that is going to make sure, going to make it easy for you to withdraw and is going to fight for your ability to withdraw always is Swan Bitcoin. They have auto purchases and auto withdrawals. I don't even do anything. They just send the Bitcoin to my keys after I buy it. As well as they have uh, Swan Private for the serious investors. You know, if you want concierge service, you want to go from zero to Bitcoiner with the most knowledgeable people in the business to guide you. That's it. Swan. Both of these services are no-brainers. Check them out at guyswan.com. They're at the top of the page. Okay, so let's start with the FUD. Um, and we'll start with the most common, like every conversation on Twitter I see has this FUD. And this is against CTV, by the way. Is this kills Bitcoin fungibility. This is going to enable, and I'll also say this too, in my naive understanding of covenants at the very beginning of this, I thought, well, it kind of sounds like that. that's what this would enable. So totally understandable that this is the first assumption of people, but I think people have immediately made in a judgment about this without even checking. 
Like without even finding out if this is actually a true statement and in what way it would be or would not be. So again, the claim is, so CTV adds a new encumbrance to a set of coins. And what it can enable is to restrict how you use those coins from the UTXO. So essentially, you could create a UTXO that said, and vaults and covenants are the, the seeming, uh, seemingly valuable case uh, or reason why this would be a useful tool. But what it basically means is that I can encumber my Bitcoin <clears throat> such that the only thing that I could do with those coins, if I spend, uh, if I, uh, spend them, is to send them to some very explicit wallet. Or, more importantly, I could uh, commit to having um, uh, restrict it so that, like, let's say I have a one Bitcoin UTXO, I could actually restrict it so that I can only use 0.1 of that Bitcoin for the first month, and uh, after a month, the rest of the 0.9 goes to some additional location. But essentially what it means is that it's built into the transaction, not my client, so that if somebody, even if somebody hacks me, I am only on the uh, hook or I am only vulnerable or I'm only susceptible to losses of the 0.1 Bitcoin, whereas the remaining 0.9 has to go to a specific location. I can, I can restrict before I even sign a transaction where those coins uh, could go. Um, and this is a very useful case for um, like kind of second layer security mechanisms, kind of like the Lightning Network, is to be able to commit ahead of time where those coins will exit to. Uh, it, that's, that's a really good benefit, and there's a lot of different little tweaks that you can do to, to make use of this. And then obviously in vaults, in like extreme cold storage situations that you want multiple layers of redundancy, it's very useful to be able to commit ahead of time the the amount of funds that could be spendable out of this. Like right now, we don't have a way to break up a UTXO into individual amounts within the UTXO. It's basically all or nothing with a UTXO right now. And this actually allows us to commit to certain amounts going to certain places within a single UTXO and also helps assist joint ownership. So what's the, what's the fear here? Like what's the... This is where the, the basic understanding of it seems like someone is going to tell me what I can do with my coins is, holy crap, like you're going to encumber, you know, something that you send to me with a restriction on how I can spend it. Like, what if an exchange does this? And this is the scenario that I keep hearing pop up all, all this, over the place is that governments will tell exchanges that they have to make it so that when you withdraw your coins that now you can only send it to this subset of whitelisted addresses and they could build this into the transaction into layer one. Everyone take a deep breath because you can't do that with this. Everything that I have seen shows that this is not possible and it's not how it works. And this one didn't require a lot of deep digging to realize why. So the easiest way to understand this is when you create an address in your wallet, when you generate one, you generate it with the script. The address already, like to create the address, you have to stipulate all of the things that are restricting the ability to spend that uh, or to spend from that address. 
So if you generate an address in your wallet and there's any restriction like, oh, you can only send it to this set of whitelist addresses, you are the one who has created that script and locked that address to it. it, it you, you generate that client side. No one can send it to that address and add some additional encumbrance because the address has the encumbrance with it. They ha it literally will necessarily be a different address and not yours uh, for, for them to add this new encumbrance. So literally from the context of a government requiring something, this is literally no different than any other address. Like your relationship with it is that you still have to generate the address. You generate the encumbrances. If they create a blacklist and you're on the blacklist, there's nothing you can do. The exchanges are going to adhere to that. And the best we can do is fight at the social layer and, you know, try to build something to get around it. But CTV does not change this any more than having the ability to build a time lock into when you can spend your coins would be required by some exchange. Like, like you are doing it. This is simply not possible with CTV. Now, the interesting thing is that there are actually other covenant designs, alternatives that are being pushed by people that could do this. What we're referring to in this is referred to as a recursive covenant, one that essentially could last forever until um, some stipulation is met and then it could, quote unquote, exit the covenant. But it appears that the very design of CTV, the reason CTV is kind of restricted in the way that it is, is to make sure that recursive covenants are not a threat, that this can't happen with the way it is done with CTV. Now, I do not know exactly how it works. I still don't quite understand how a recursive covenant is technically possible unless it's literally just saying you can't send it to this address if it doesn't have that encumbrance on it. So... It's basically saying that this this particular Bitcoin is simply not spendable to to an address that you generate that does not have the same encumbrance. That's the only thing that I can kind of naively think would do that that, that, it, that it's that it is able to restrict just a certain type of address that it can spend to rather than having to commit to an explicit transaction. And that's what CTV does. CTV means that you have to know up front, exactly the place that you are you are committing to it exiting from so an example that's actually a really interesting benefit here um from a scaling perspective uh which a lot of people are purporting is like the most one of the best advantages of this outside of the people talking about covenants and vaults and such is that you can commit to an exit from a utxo so let's say an exchange uh, fees are super, super high. This specific method is called congestion control transaction, but there's actually a lot of different things you can do, and it doesn't necessarily have to be because fees are high. I mean, you could just kind of make this the policy. Um, but regardless, um, let's say fees are really high and, uh, you know, blocks are full and an exchange needs to do, you know, withdrawal to 10,000 participants. Like 10,000 people have tried to withdraw their Bitcoin in the last 10 minutes and they need to fit all this into one block. Well, what they can do is they can actually commit to every single individual withdrawal address within a single UTXO. So they can, let's say everybody has 0.1 Bitcoin. It just so happens that all 10,000 of these people at the exact same time are withdrawing 0.1 Bitcoin. Well, they can send a, 
a single UTXO out with a thousand Bitcoin in it. And essentially the only way to unlock it, to unroll the script of that, it's what it, then it also will look like it has one signature um, uh, because it's a hash tree. So you basically only have the root hash as part of this. So it is literally like a, looks like a one UTXO uh, transaction with a check template verify and a hash locking it. And it doesn't appear from everything I've dug into that it would even be obvious that there are 10,000 participants in it. It just looks like a one UTXO to one UTXO um, or a payment to one UTXO. However, the only way that anybody can spend from that UTXO is by fulfilling the transaction they had already created. So um, you gave an address ahead of time and one of the pieces of that of that tree within that one UTXO with that one address is the commitment that 0.1 Bitcoin must go to your address. So even though there's one address on chain and it doesn't actually belong to any of these people, the only thing you can do with this address is basically unroll it, unfurl the, the lock on this thing and you are forced, the only thing, the only valid direction is 0.1 Bitcoin to every single individual address of all 10,000 of those participants. So the withdrawal has basically gone through but it's not in the address yet. It's simply in in the the user's address. Like it's not in the individual ten thousand different addresses. Instead, it's in an address where the only thing you can do with it is break it up to each one of those ten thousand individual addresses. So essentially, you have condensed the ownership, the on-chain ownership of ten thousand participants into a single UTXO. After that is confirmed, they know that they're going to get the Bitcoin and they can basically hold their private key and hold the commitment transaction that they need to redeem from that UTXO and stuff that shit away in cold storage and basically assume that they own it now. They don't really have to do anything. That's withdrawn. And then when fees are lower later, let's say, let's say, you know, suddenly we have a, uh, you know, a whole bunch of empty blocks and uh, fees drop one day. Well, then then all 10,000 of those participants can slowly unfurl their transaction from that single on-chain UTXO, the single on-chain address and Bitcoin balance. However, you can't change the stipulations. The exchange can't later add additional instructions and they can't restrict it to anything other than your address, the, the address that you give them. It is locked to that address. Now, you can add additional stipulations later on. You can make it so that it only pays out like an annuity, like a, an allowance, where that point one is then broken up into 10.01s that um, pay out over the next 10 months, each at a time, and have that built within your UTXO as a CTV lock. But they don't know that. All they see is an address, and you have to generate that in your address. They cannot later change it, and neither can you. You have to commit up front to exactly where it's going to be. And you can, just like a time lock, you can accidentally, there are, there are a, a Bitcoin time locked on Bitcoin right now where somebody punched in the wrong zeros or didn't realize that, you, you know, they, they miscalculated with years and seconds and whatever, 
uh, and there are Bitcoin out there that are locked for thousands and thousands or millions of years that nobody is ever going to get. They're essentially burned. And you can do that exact same thing with CTV. You can accidentally, you know, branch this thing a thousand times for a thousand years and, you know, do all the calculations and commit to that shit. And then those coins are basically gone. But again, that is not a problem of covenants. That is, that is a problem of you. So as I understand it, there are covenant mechanisms, and this is a decent argument for CTV over those. There are mechanisms that allow for recursive. And I don't know exactly how those work, but this one doesn't. CTV does not make that. That is strictly inaccurate. So everybody who is wigging out about it or making a judgment based on that, that's simply wrong. Now, I've also read a lot of FUD about people saying, if we don't scale, Bitcoin's doomed. What the, where the hell did this come from? I don't understand why suddenly within the last two weeks, it has been some crazy, crucial, critical thing that we have CTV and that somehow CTV is some brilliant next level, like, you know, 10,000x scaling solution, which it isn't. And understand, the people who are acting like the sky is falling or that development is trapped or centralized because this isn't easy to do or that if Bitcoin doesn't get this, we're doomed, there's no way it's going to scale and we need to upgrade now immediately to get these things in because, you know, in six months we might not be able to change anything. You're not helping your case. That is not a better situation to make this sort of a decision under, to to say everybody should be afraid and that, that because this is difficult, or that because this has some features that would be nice to have in Bitcoin, that our future is predetermined to be centralized and custodial if we don't get this exact upgrade at this exact time. Frankly, that's bullshit. That's bullshit and you're not helping. You're making me want to argue against it even when I don't, just for the mentality. Again, none of this is an existential crisis. This is a rather minor upgrade that might have some pretty good benefits. And yes, it is outside of the normal avenues that we have made these development upgrades, but that is not necessarily a bad thing. There are some judgments to be made and there are some considerations to take, but it is not a bad thing that maybe we do something not on the core client and not through the traditional mechanism. I, that, that should absolutely be on the table for us. It just should. But there is not a crisis here, and we should talk about it. We should consider this. I am probably, I am probably not going to come to a solid conclusion before this speedy trial thing. And uh, in fact, I don't even think I finished one of the thoughts that I was getting into. Um, is uh, Jeremy was saying that CTV has been around for a long time, and I agree, it it absolutely has been. But a lot of people feel like this came out of left field because. People do not read the dev list. People do not keep up with, you know, Bitcoin Optech, for as great as it is. I don't think there are a lot of people who really dig into and verify everything in Bitcoin Optech newsletter. Yes, CTV has been around for a long time, and uh, it's been under consideration for a while, but the vast majority of people just heard about it. They just heard about it. Now, I don't care what your stance is on the technicalities. But if you think that trying to rush something and get something soft forked in uh, that is an op code is not going to be met 
with heavy resistance, with reluctance, with FUD, with people freaking out that we have to make a decision in some incredibly short amount of time, yeah, it would necessarily be the case that this would be the outcome in my mind. I, I don't see how it is any other way. Now, a lot of people have been saying that Jeremy and the CTV proponents or whatever, uh, or, or uh, supporters, um, have not been trying to educate people on CTV. Uh, and I have found the exact opposite. Jeremy has been really accommodating with his time. He jumped into a Twitter spaces and, God, I don't know, we went for like three hours or something like that. And a lot of people asked questions. A lot of the same questions got asked over and over again. But regardless, like, you know, people are always coming in and out um, and covered a lot of different stuff. Uh, if you read his... Uh, what is it, like seven theses, um, which I might, I, I told him that I might do this. Um, I might read it on the show, like maybe even tomorrow, um, just to cover it, because this is going to take a while to cover. I think this is worthy of a handful of different episodes, um, and I kind of am, am in a place where I hope it fails with the speedy trial, um, but that we should not assume that that means it failed. Um, I, I think we should keep talking about this, and potentially repropose this afterward. That is that is kind of where I am at the moment. That doesn't mean I won't, I won't change my position on that, but um, just as a preliminary judgment, uh, that is where I am. But I do not feel that anyone has purposefully tried to obscure this or tried to hide it. I think it's just the information spread between development and quote-unquote community, between actual developers and, and uh, uh, programmers and plebs is there's just not a big bridge there. There's a, there's a hefty, hefty bottleneck and we are experiencing the outcomes of trying to push something through when the bottleneck is limiting our ability to assess the information involved. And I feel like that is making a lot of people feel as if they are not in control, as if, as if this is being pushed on them and I don't think that's a totally unreasonable way to feel. Even though it's not the case. I, I really don't think that's the case. I, I can understand why that's the response. And I think that's where a lot of, that's where almost all the contention is coming from, is that we've, there's this feeling that we have to make a decision in two weeks um, on this. And, and you know, you know, it's speedy trial, right? It's like, get it through as quickly as possible. Um, and it's important to understand that you don't, but you can always run the user URSF, the user rejected soft fork. Um, you can always run the URSF client and just say negative. I'm not participating in this, um, which is actually written by Jeremy. Uh, you can get it on the uh, uh, page um, and it's very short Python. I haven't actually looked at it yet, but I want to double check it just to make sure there's nothing nefarious going on. But I can't, I can't imagine why that would be the biggest disaster ever. Um, if you ever wanted to obliterate your reputation, it would be to make that somehow a scam or a trick. Uh, but nonetheless, don't trust Verify, right? Now, there are uh, URSF aside and you know what's happening with the speedy trial um like i said i, th I think it makes sense that people react this way but then there are people who are advocating for this who are saying things that sound ridiculous to me now it is 
a benefit in scaling on the front end, but it is not really a benefit on the, in scaling on the back end, specifically when we're talking about the congestion transactions and the you know, one UTXO, one address on the chain is committed to unrolling to 10,000 different addresses. Well, guess what? When you unroll, all those 10,000 addresses end up existing. So, uh, in fact, you have committed to the fact that they must exist. So, technically, you've onboarded 10,000 people into one block, but they still have the exact same footprint on the time chain in order to spend it. This is a useful tool. I will admit there are some things that there are some benefits and features from this seem really exciting, but this is not a existential crisis. We either have it or Bitcoin is not going to scale situation with CTV. And we'll talk about it in just a second. And this is something that I find kind of interesting that a lot of the benefits outside of covenants and vaults and congestion transactions aren't really talked about a whole lot. Um, in fact, a lot of it at the beginning, all of the defense for CTV seemed to be around the fact that, oh, it doesn't change much. Oh, nobody's claimed the bounty. There is like five Bitcoin or something like that. It's like five or six Bitcoin on a bounty to um, uh, to determine whether or not, or on, on a bounty on can you break CTV. But it is important to understand that a bounty on has CTV been broken is not code review. Um, like, I don't know the extent to which review and, you know, more in-depth thinking and attack vectors have been, uh, like, dug into this. But just because somebody hasn't claimed a bug bounty is not any sort of proof or analysis that something is safe. Without a whole lot of further details, that is my naive response to that claim and then otherwise it's more of a the argument that i see leaned on a lot is well if it doesn't break anything we should put it in and that I don't that's not a strong argument either there's no we should not just be arbitrarily changing things um soft forks are a risk in fact they're kind of a weird unique risk they're they're this odd middle of the road sort of uh problem that could occur on um, Bitcoin between a normal just like client update and a strict hard fork. But understand like some of the biggest problems that have occurred in Bitcoin, the biggest bugs that have happened in Bitcoin's past were not soft forks. They were not like huge like opcode changes. They were actually very minor little tweaks in the validation logic that did not cause any sort of a fork. They were just trying to clean up the code in the client uh, that let something that basically allowed a bug for something to sneak through. So any every time you update your client, we're basically running that risk. So that's t that's just something to keep in mind. Um, you know, nothing is this is just software, and we should be thinking about this from a very very conservative approach. And and that's why I don't think like the the um, criticisms, the criticism from like Adam Back and Matt Carollo, I think. Matt Carollo sounds very open to it. Um, and uh, there are discussions of other proposals that do very similar things. Um, and, you know, maybe there is some sort of an argument or, or there's some sort of legitimacy to the idea that, you know, 
there is this group of developers that kind of want to implement these things their way. But at the same time, they are not they do not sound unreasonable in their criticisms in, in the way they're framing how one should go about this. And, you know, if something hasn't gotten a lot of attention, well, then, OK, it just hasn't gotten a lot of attention. That's not necessarily everybody else's problem, you know? For the same reason, if I write a book or make a movie and not a whole lot of people want to watch it or read it, eh, like I can't really get annoyed with them. Everybody immediately wants to jump to conspiracy or they're not, you know, accepting alternative views or whatever. It's like, ah, guys, Jesus Christ. Anyway, there's going to be, we're going to have to dig into a lot of this stuff because I want to go over a lot of what Adam Back is saying, what Corallo, uh, Blue Matt is saying, um, and uh, and I want to dig into Jeremy's stuff because um, I think this is worthy of you know doing a handful of episodes on and trying to get some serious idea of what this is and whether or not you know in some time in the next months or years like legitimate discussion about you know putting in the validation logic and whether this is one of the tools we want to use um, and I also you know a number of people are complaining another argument against. That I, I don't I don't really think this is a good argument against it. There's a lot of subpar arguments for, but one of the other ones is that that we will end up deprecating it in three to five years. That we won't use it anymore because something else will add that functionality. Um, uh, I don't I don't really think that's a great argument for it because a it's three to five years for um you know, being able to use something like this, a tool that's very useful and basically building out the logic for committed transactions for covenants um, and how you might use it for a congestion transaction. And it's a, uh, well, Jeremy referred to it as a, uh, which I, I like this, I, this way of framing it is that it's, it's a primitive, it's a, it's a more fundamental piece of, um, uh, more fundamental opcode in what you do because you're literally just committing to a explicit amount of information and the the strict ability to list out to itemize bitcoin balances within a single address is a really really useful tool that is a really great thing to have and i hope that we have all of the mechanisms and the features and the opcodes needed to make that whether or not CTV is the way to go with this, that's what's up for debate right now. But I think the, that feature specifically of being able to subdivide a single UTXO into multiple pieces of ownership and multiple balances, et cetera, et cetera, and commit ahead of time to who owns what, I think that is a very useful thing. And it's, it's great for layer two. It's great for layer three. Um, and also, I think it's great for layer one to, to be able to compact more and more granular instructions and degrees of control behind less and less information. You know, that is always the general direction. And I think this could be, um, or some tool like it could be, a really great incremental step to, again, better privacy, better scalability, um, and better layer two and layer three tooling. So let's, uh, let's actually pause right here. Um, and talk about our sponsor really fast, and then we'll get in. And I actually just want to go through some of the benefits of CTV um, and why we would want it. And then we'll close out today's episode as kind of like 
think of this as an introduction to the arguments um, because I, I'm not hoping that anybody pulls some sort of a judgment from this episode. Um, I have not made a judgment about this, and I've said this multiple times. I just want to cut through the bullshit on both sides um, and try to get some honest idea of what this thing is because I feel like nobody has any clue. Um, so uh, let's take a quick break, hit our sponsor, and we'll jump back in. And our sponsor is the Bitbox O2. It is a hardware wallet. It is a sleek, awesome little thing. It plugs right into your Android phone, so you can use it with some of your favorite mobile wallets without the general insecurity that comes with storing Bitcoin on your phone. But not anymore, because your keys are actually on your Bitbox O2. And the desktop app also is really user-friendly and intuitive. It is still actually the main way that I use my Bitbox. Um, and it's just a solid little device for keeping your keys securely in your possession and always easy to get to and use. The BitBox is Swiss-made. Obviously, security is the top focus, um, and it's made by actual Bitcoin developers. And it's exactly what you need to be ready for the Bitcoin standard. You can snag 5% off your BitBox with code GUY, that is G-U-Y, and go straight to their page at guyswan.com slash bitbox. Again, that is guyswan2ends.com slash bitbox. Not your keys, not your coins. Fix it. Get a bitbox02. Okay. So, uh, getting back into this, I said just a little bit ago about Jeremy calling this a, a new primitive. Um, and uh, the way, the analogy that he used to think about this is that, you know, imagine you can do all of this math um, and uh, but you don't have the number zero what happens when you introduce the number zero now you can say oh it has this feature and you can do this sort of math problem and here's this other thing you can do and that's all great but we really just have no idea all of the things that we can do with it because it's a very fundamental piece you know it's like having a new operator in a math problem or it's 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 so fundamental and it's such a just a simplistic piece of how the math works that we don't really know all of the things we can build with it because well there's just a lot um you know like it's like saying how many math problems can you make with the number zero well there's not really a way to answer that question so i like that analogy um and, and i think the the general idea here of ctv um and all of these other covenant opcodes and alternatives here is that you're committing to something specific outside of just a set of keys. You can commit to certain data that you are signing. So you can actually add all of the transaction details and the address you want it to go to and the amount. And with that, there's just a ton of other use cases that you can extrapolate from that. And I do believe this is something we want in Bitcoin from a, in a, from a general perspective. But I would like it also because of the potential. There are potential downsides. There are attack vectors that something like that could introduce. Um, specifically, the idea of recursive covenants. Like, There's a lot of argument that recursive covenants could be a good thing. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really there. Um, I mean... Yeah, sure, some of the things that people say you can do with it sound great. 
and maybe this scene, this is a silly concern, but the idea of the whitelisting thing, anything that really does enable that, I don't like it. I just don't. A lot of money goes through the government. Um, a lot of Bitcoin goes through the government, even today. If we're implementing something like that, I want to, I want to see it being used by millions of people, hundreds of millions of people on liquid and know exactly how that situation in an actual economic condition plays out before I really think we're going to even begin to know how important that is um, and how, how critical the consequences of it could be. Um, so I'm, my, my basic stance right now on the idea of recursive covenants is, is just, nah, bro. Like I just, I just doesn't, doesn't sound great to me. But again, just to clarify, CTV is not that. It is, it is specifically designed with that in mind as something to avoid. But anyway, let's go over some of the benefits of CTV, something that this type of tool uh, allows us to do. So first we talked about what, it's, it's not really necessarily congestion control transaction. Like you could just have this as a normal withdrawal. But the example I gave at the beginning of the congestion control transaction, where one UTXO has already committed to the outputs of like 10,000 different users and their balances. Now, one thing that's actually really cool with this tool is that you can actually do that with lightning channels too. So essentially, you can commit to like, let's say all 0.1, uh, all 10,000 of those people are actually opening up lightning channels. Um, well, you since that UTXO has committed to that lightning channel, and the only thing that you can do with that UTXO is unroll it to open up a lightning channel, even though the lightning channel isn't open yet, technically, but that's the only thing that, that those coins can do. You can basically treat it as if it's opened. You can prove, you know, you have your, your hash or whatever, and you can prove that you're part of that signature, and you and your channel partner um, can literally behave as if this channel is already open. And another really cool thing about it is that it's essentially a private channel that hasn't actually shown up on the blockchain because it doesn't quite exist yet. It's just you're guaranteed to know that it will, ex it definitely will exist. Um, and you can go ahead and commit to, you know, make your little contract to the output of that address. After that address is confirmed, what then can you do with the Bitcoin? Um, and you have your Lightning contract. So you could actually onboard 10,000 people onto Lightning with that single transaction. And that's great. That is a really cool scalability thing. But there is a bit of a weird trade-off here. Is that that's, that's just onboarding. To offboard, to, to exit from that, to close your channels, now takes one extra transaction because you haven't opened it yet. I mean, it's technically not an extra transaction. You just needed to do that. So the way to think about this, or, or the way that it stands out to me as something that is... A good thing in a lot of ways, but uh, also could suck in some ways, is that you're basically the entryway into Lightning or the entryway into owning your own coins is freaking massive, right? Like you could have 
where you could have this behind one UTXO with 10,000 different channels, you could have all 3,000, you could fill the block with 3,000 UTXOs, and each one of them could be 10,000 uh, 10, channels or 10,000 withdrawals. Just that is 30 million people onboarded in a single block. That's awesome, right? Except that now your exit door is like this teeny, teeny, tiny little door. Because to close all of those channels, to actually execute those withdrawals later, to spend it later, still requires the, like, basically 10,000 blocks at 3,000 UTXOs or 3,000 transactions per block. You still need 10,000 blocks, which is what? 10-ish weeks worth of blocks? Five difficulty adjustments of all those blocks just filled with those? So the, the full footprint, yes, it's a huge and amazing onboarding tool, but the actual footprint is still uh, is still pretty big on the time chain. Now, there's one caveat here, is that it does make aggregation easier. Technically, you could actually go from one CTV to another CTV. And the beauty of something like this, to be able to commit to it, is that you can... Um, that commitment is essentially your proof that it's going to go to you at some point. Like that's the only thing that those Bitcoin can do. So you treat them as long as you have the hash, as long as you have the commitment data to prove later, um, which is kind of like something it's kind of like almost seems like it's like a channel state um, in the sense that you need to have the commitment data, just like you have to have a channel state to recover from lightning. So it's something in addition to your keys that you need to keep backed up. Now, I could be wrong about that. I, this is, again, this is a little bit of a naive um, understanding of it. So maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's the case. Because if you don't have the explicit information to fulfill the hash, um, well, then there's no way you're going to get those coins. Um, so, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll assume that for now. But because that commitment data is independent, you can do a lot of things non-interactively. And that is really important. Um, interactivity, when you know, you're creating like a channel factory or like some of these other tools where you have lots of people working together, one of the biggest problems involved is the ability to be a part of it while every, but everyone having to be online at the exact same time and having to do multiple handshakes, multiple transfers of data and signing and checking just to move something forward. Whereas with CTV, with a, a form of actually committing to a certain type of certain explicit piece of data is that you can give that to the the exchange or whatever in question and then just verify later that you're a part of that withdrawal and you know you're part of that withdrawal but you don't have to be there you don't have to sign with all of those other 10,000 participants whereas a lot of the means to do that exact same thing otherwise does require that it requires everybody to be online and signing all at once and 10,000 people to make connections and it's funny there are like a couple of different people who talk about the difficulty of coordinating people online, like multiple parties at the exact same time, which is really why centralization is such a huge benefit online, is that that coordination between people is a freaking difficult task, um, especially if everybody has to be online at the same time, and that literally that it doesn't scale past two. 
Um, that was kind of the conversation that as soon as you're like three people, it's just a pain in the ass. Um, now I, I think, you know, particularly in some circumstances where you're talking about exchanges and businesses and lightning nodes, um, being able to do with this with three people, five people, 10 people, I do not think is totally out of the question. I think it's kind of the nature of, um, uh, the way the way that network works and and the ability to do you know if you have a business or you're running like an internet service but it may actually be something that kind of stays in that realm where connectivity is just too unreliable for just the everyday user i mean like my nodes online i have a hard time relying on them not because they're not great but because my home internet is kind of crap sometimes um, it's gone out a couple of times with the construction stuff, and uh, I, don't, I don't even know why. One of the first times, the the the, the fiber line just kind of pulled out, and it was not just not making a connection anymore. It didn't seem that anybody yanked on it or anything. It was like just the the ground settled. It's all the all this crap around my house is clay, so it like settles. Just pulled it out just enough. Then on top of that, I've been having router problems. I've had to change my network. I spent like all day, like two days ago, working on my damn network in the house. Um, so anyway, needless to say, staying online all the time can be a pain. So the more interactive your tools, your quote unquote features are, the less likely they're going to get used, um, in my opinion. And the, the fact that you can do something like this completely non-interactively, you literally just are able to hand the relevant information off to the exchange. You just give them your address and the amount or whatever, um, and then they withdraw whenever they need to with all the other 10,000 participants. It's like normal aggregation, right? That exchange can aggregate and you don't have to know all of the other participants are signed with them. And yet you can get the benefits of like that insane level of aggregation. So that's just one of those, one of those benefits that I think is very useful, but it does have this weird thing where in a general sense, it's not really a scaling solution. It's an onboarding solution with a use or a redemption problem. So you've kind of just moved the scaling problem to after people quote unquote have the Bitcoin, how do they use the Bitcoin? But the beauty of being able to, the one really beneficial thing that I think is there is being able to onboard directly to lightning in those UTXOs. That is a benefit because you're expanding layer two, which of course allows them to start making payments from that balance. Um, and you can aggregate on the back end, just like you always could on the front end. Um, but again, you, you kind of run in that situation of, Oh, well then you've not really changed the problem. Um, so it's, it's something to consider. It's a, it's it's a great feature to have, um, but it's also just not the only thing that CTV makes possible. Uh, so just like if you added a new operator, you added zero to math problems, you know, it wouldn't just be because you can do this one math problem that we would want it or that we would not want it. But since I brought up non-interactive, uh, this is actually, <coughs> we can go ahead and talk about non-interactive channels. Now, like, uh, I said, or I referred to the joke of like, you know, after you have, you have to have like interactive interactivity between two users is that, um, two is the, the max scaling for being able to do that. Well, this actually makes it so you don't need both. Um, you could actually make a channel 
without them needing to sign their side of it because you could commit to an address that they own um, and, you know, push a payment to them or something through it. And I mean that just from, like, the initial uh, uncooperative close commitment that you can make. You still couldn't actually update it until they came back online. And obviously there's, like, a little bit of security things and some differences. It's not like, you know, you just press a button and this magically happens. But, yes, CTV does make this easier. And this is also why um, it enables the benefit of something like payment pools and benefits uh, channel factories. You could basically use the commitment of everyone's coins um, in a CTV commitment, um, everybody's exit, you know, from, from the payment pool as, as the insurance that anyone can unilaterally exit from the group and that you can update that group. You can continue to shift it while just needing the, the commitment. So not everyone has to be online all the time. You, you get that benefit, you extend that benefit of non-interactiveness and you can still just confirm that you're part of the pool. Now, another one that uh, you can find on the UTXOs, UTXOS, so UTXOs.org um, is actually where uh, a good bit of the applications and use cases and stuff, but another, another really great resource that I've been kind of slowly going through piece by piece is BIP119, so BIP119.com. If you want to do the digging, these are the best two resources that I have found to date to just kind of cover a lot of different things and episodes and stuff of podcasts. I still haven't gone through all of it. I, I hope to go through probably everything if I can if I can manage it. And I also want to go through a lot of the alternatives, um, the things that like um, other developers are saying, oh, well, this is going to be able to do the same job and, you know, we won't even need CTV at, you know, X date or, you know, potentially when we implement these next two things, et cetera, et cetera. I want to kind of hear the arguments on, quote unquote, that roadmap on why why that is the better path to take and why, um, you know, something like any prev out is something that we should prioritize before um, this one. But it's interesting to me because like people who talk about this is like, oh, we have to get this scaling now. And it's so important that we can batch all these transactions in like one UTXO immediately is that I don't even think we've we've barely scratched the surface with all of the scaling tools we currently have. Um, I would actually like to see um, uh, the mempool or, or I would like to see fees go up again. I would like to see the scaling gets strained so that we actually have the push to do the things that we can do because we're not utilizing them. We, I mean, we don't, right now, we don't have a scaling problem on Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been extremely low fee for quite some time and Lightning Network has grown a lot um, and it's still got a lot of, a lot of growing to do. Um, but uh, I do tend to just think with the way that the Lightning Network is growing, with the way it's being adopted and its potential, particularly with Taro now on the field and being able to do stable coins over Lightning, uh, I tend to think that Lightning should be our focus. Um, and, and what we do should be kind of uh, 
more specifically in the concept of lightning, like like in how to implement or make it better. Now, CTV may have a really good argument there that this is a really useful thing in the context of payment pools and channel factories and um, non-interactive channels. Maybe CTV is the next thing that could be really, really beneficial to lightning. But at least from my perspective, that is the thing that I feel like for a for for direction is where we should be headed because I don't I don't know. I just I really think lightning is is incredible. Um I think there's still plenty there's tons of work to do. Tons and tons of work to do. But that's why I think that should be our focus because I think with the work being done, lightning has the potential to be absolutely massive um and a huge critical part of global infrastructure and could facilitate hundreds of thousands of even millions of payments per second honestly um i think i really think it has that potential um i've i've talked about my my particular footprint and how much my scale like I, the how i think of bitcoin has totally changed since i have gone to lightning um i have my cold storage and my large Bitcoin balances that I use for like the loans or for collateral or whatever it is. And then I have Lightning. Like if somebody is doing normal payments, like everyday payments on Bitcoin, that kind of screws me up because most of the Lightning stuff that I use doesn't have a simple way to just fulfill like a Bitcoin address request. I want to do it over Lightning. Now I think that that complication will actually go away and I'll just be able to do that from a lightning wallet typically. Um, but still right now they are, they still have that division, you know? Um, and, uh, so because of that, uh, I don't, I do not do on chain very much. Um, and I think it would be awesome to see that. That's where I think the, the general focus should be. So maybe that's a case for any prev out the, a different op code, to be the focus maybe maybe that is why I, I don't really know the main arguments against or for an alternative um but i have heard any prev out be mentioned multiple times now just for anybody who doesn't know that op code is specifically something that just makes lightning a little bit cleaner um uh, from a implementation standpoint like like it's easier to update the channels uh and it has less consequences if you go offline or you're closing a channel. Now there's an argument that it's actually a problem because it essentially removes the punishment clause from Lightning. Uh, so it, it does kind of change the dynamics a little bit. Um, and there's something to consider there, whether or not that's the better Lightning implementation or not. But there's a lot of different use cases for it. That's just kind of the general one. Um, but this isn't an episode about any prev out. So it's just, it's just something to keep in mind that there are alternatives. And I think... We have an extremely limited amount of time that we can devote to any particular direction and any particular type of development. And I think that's what a lot of this is, is that, you know, something's being thrown into the mix that now a lot of people need to spend a lot of time on. And I do think still needs review. Like I said, a bug bounty, I do not think is any sort of like proof of this is secure. Maybe CTV is that simple. You know, it's like only 200 lines of code, etc., but I think the implications are pretty big, um, uh, both in the general, like it could have a lot of different benefits, but also in the, there could be a lot, there could be downsides that we're not thinking about or attack vectors, so to speak, that we're not really considering. Now, 
Going back to the benefits of this, one that is really interesting that I had not considered um, or, or that did not seem obvious to me, but it's really interesting and I haven't, I don't really have the, the working pieces, but the, the idea of that being non-interactive, uh, that non-interactivity, and then being able to commit to a lot of uh, a lot of separate payouts in a single UTXO or in a very very small footprint makes a trustless, coordination-free mining pool possible. So the peer-to-peer mining pools, the the decentralized mining pools, I've always had some kind of big limitations and they don't scale very well now i don't quite understand um the exactly how the proposal works um it's a little bit vague or at least it seems like it is maybe it does have all the pieces of the puzzle that i need um but just kind of going through it it does basically require a lot of hash power essentially to be a part of this because you would actually have to be able to mine a block to um to be a part of this pool, but that you could somehow commit to remittances based on blocks in the past, which what could be interesting about that, just in kind of my initial thinking of like, okay, how could you use this to better, um, to better, uh, uh, distribute or, um, what's the term Uh, to, to better decentralize the mining pool environment itself. Well, you can actually have, what are large mining pools right now break up into smaller segments and essentially use this to combine the mining pools. So it's like a second layer mining pool. Um, and that could be really interesting to let mining pools, mining pools could still get to a size where they're large enough to mine blocks ever so often, but they don't ne- they don't need to get to the size of 20% or 30% or 40% in order to, um, really be economically viable is that they could then coordinate with all the other mining pools that are 3% of the hash rate. And you you have this simpler potential or this easier mechanism to essentially decentralize that. Now, whether or not that actually happens, whether or not this protocol is actually that viable, or if there's a there's a strict economic benefit to those smaller mining pools to join into larger mining pools but still keep that trust mechanism at bay you know to make it um less trusted a less trusted uh relationship the question is do they get paid more um so i don't i don't really know um you know this is a very very kind of offhand thinking about how you could utilize that even though um it does seem you need a certain threshold of hash power to participate that's a really interesting idea. It's one that I just I hadn't thought about mining pools in a while and everything, all of my references are always like, okay, how can you benefit a lightning channel? How can you benefit a pool of people who are doing like some sort of like miniature side chain or collective ownership of like a trust fund with like many members of a family, etc. That's usually where my head goes um, initially when I'm reading or digging into some of this stuff. Um, but, uh, we've already gone, we've already gone quite a bit. There's, there's a couple other, um, interesting, like being able to do like options trading. Um, uh, this is another use case for CTV here is that you could actually set up a little smart contract to pay out based on a certain, a certain pay in 
for um, literally like an options trade, like a tiny little futures contract that's essentially decentralized. So it's it's a little kind of mini DeFi sort of thing that you could do on Bitcoin that could actually be built into the script itself and not need a quote-unquote service provider. And I'd be very curious how you could do, how you could expand, expand something like that when you can actually put as part of like the taproot tree, you can now put stable coins with Taro and have commitments because because Taro is a taproot transaction within a taproot tree so that you can have all of the same things in Taro. You can all have all the same things in a ta- stable coin that you can have in a Bitcoin transaction. So you could then have commitments to stable coins. So you have really interesting dynamics starting to play out about actually being able to trade between, you know, some trusted fiat situation, some stable coin issued by some company, but do so without the company needing needing to be a part of it. Um, that you could actually have a completely contractual, hidden within a tree of hashes and commitments, um, options and some sort of trading contract between dollars and Bitcoin. And I don't know how you would exactly have you'd have you deal with the oracle problem um you, you know maybe this is still something that dlc's kind of solve uh because you just have the key of the oracle and the oracle doesn't have to be a part of it but regardless it does seem that there's something interesting there um and i i would i would bet a good chunk of sats that there's something that ctv can do that makes that a much much simpler application or slightly better guarantee as to the exit um, and require less trust in some centralized service provider or maybe a potential third-party oracle. But I don't have any anything concrete. It's just kind of like my, this is just kind of my spouting off and thinking out loud. Then he also puts on utxos.org some application to drive chains, which mm, I did, um, in fact, if you want to hear the article about it, um, I read... Uh, Paul Stort's article on, I think it was, I think it's Paul's article. It might have been somebody else written about drive chains. Paul Stortz is kind of the, the guy who has been pioneering and pushing for BIP300 for drive chains on Bitcoin um, for a long time. Uh, it's funny that the, the, uh, one of the proposed benefits is for drive chains and Shinobi is super pushing CTV. Uh, but hates drive chains. It's really funny. I had an argument with him, or a, I wasn't arguing. I was just trying to find out why he hated them so much um, on uh, Twitter. And uh, it took a long time, but I finally grasped what his argument was. Um, and he called me stupid a couple of times before we finally got to it. But, uh, uh, and may- maybe I was being stupid, but I was not quite following what he was saying. Um, but the issue with drive chains to me, and this is a valid criticism that Shinobi has, I think. Um, so I'm not really going to go into, and I still don't quite understand how drive chains commit to like a hash, like like allow you to mine the side chain and you have to have a certain proof of work. I don't really quite understand the mechanism and I haven't done enough digging into it. But um, regardless, drive chains, I feel like do the same thing for the scaling problem or not, not the scaling problem, excuse me. They do the same thing for the security and node problem. The, the, big, bo- the big block problem. Like the reason big blocks are, are a problem is because the cost of running a node is huge and you have to validate 
um, all the transactions to know that yours is valid, right? Well, it moves the big block problem to a second layer. It moves it to a different spot, whereas kind of like in the context of congestion control transaction is CTV moves the scaling, moves the, the onboarding or the redemption of all the coins to a different place in time. So you can onboard 10,000 people, but then they have to redeem 10,000 transactions on the chain. So you haven't really changed anything, right? Well, there's a little bit of a similar dynamic from, from my thinking and from what Shinobi like finally beat through my head um, was that uh, drive chains kind of moved the big block problem to the uh, side chain because technically the miner on the main chain does not have to mine the drive chain, right? Is that that's the whole idea? Is that this is a side chain that can be mined independently, and some miners can mine on it, and some miners don't have to. But here's the thing: what if 20%, 30% of the fees are coming from the drive chain? They're coming from the oh the Thunder Network. That's what the article referred to it as. I'll try to remember to uh, put that in the show notes if you want to listen to that episode. But what if the um uh, what if 30% of the fees come from the drive chain, from the side chain? Well, then you kind of have a problem because that would suggest that to be a miner, the only way you're going to get priced out because only mining on the base layer, any miner, any proof of work that is also mining the side chain is going to be more profitable. You're essentially going to have to mine the side chain or the economics are going to be that the equilibrium price of a hash includes the side chain it's going to go up by 30 percent so you're going to be 30 percent underwater if the side chain is widely used and a lot of big miners mine the side chain which means that you need to mine the side chain now the idea is that well you can still get the fees from the mine chain by I mean, the mine chain the side chain by running a light client so you don't actually have to store all the blocks and do all of this stuff and keep the blockchain and you can also prune the side chain. You don't have to keep, you know, if you've got like a three-month timeout or six-month thing, well, then any block before that, you can drop. So there's like a little bit of caveats, but you still have the bandwidth problem. Now, if you mind just with a light client, you don't know what the valid fee amount is. So a miner that is checking the whole side chain could send you an invalid uh, quote-unquote block with an with an uh, incorrect amount of fees and you thinking that you know you're running a light client and that you're going to get the fees for this side chain could actually be kicked off the side chain network by mining an invalid block by not knowing about it because you're not actually doing the entire side chain so you still just become a light client and 30 percent of your bitcoin rewards um and in fact actually all of your bitcoin rewards because if you mine that incorrectly, well, then your block on the main chain is going to be rejected if you if you have that as part of it, um, uh, because you just don't have it, you don't have the valid data. Um, so uh, to get that twenty that twenty to thirty percent premium that could essentially be equilibriumed out of the price of the hash could then be held hostage by the big miners who can run a side chain. So if you've got like a gigabyte block side chain you kind of have the big block problem all over again, um, just in a kind of roundabout way um, and maybe not like the full big block problem, 
but you still kind of have the problem in a way. It's still an attack vector. So it's interesting that this has some sort of benefit to drive chains as to, you know, more efficiently implement them. But this is also a thing that I haven't really dug much into. Um, and I haven't done much with drive chains in a while. Um, uh, so, and it's, and it's pretty contentious as well. Um, about as contentious as CTV has been so far. So hopefully we've gone on for a while now. Um, hopefully this is at least a decent introduction and I hope I at least turned off some of the more ridiculous FUD. Um, I do not think this is a, we either do this now and get some breakthrough scaling or Bitcoin is screwed. And I also do not think this is a, we're going to destroy the fungibility of Bitcoin. This is an attack. Um, I think Jeremy has been very open about this and, you know, maybe I don't agree with the proposal, but I don't think he's attacking Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, I think CTV is a pretty fair thing to consider. Um, not so sure I agree about the speedy trial. I really think the real contention here should be about how it's being implemented. Um, and Jeremy seems to be a little bit hands off about this, like, like, like at a distance, like he has you know, made the user resistant or user rejected soft fork client so that you can run it. But, you know, putting the onus to reject it and trying to get the miners like there's it's hairy. It's hairy. It's this is not a simple situation. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but uh, I think a lot of what he was trying to do is get the ball rolling on getting people to debate about it. And honestly, if that was his goal, then a resounding success, um, because it's everything that Bitcoiners have been arguing about in my feed right now. Kind of funny, it may have made it such that CTV is just never going to happen because he made something that might not necessarily have needed to be contentious, contentious, um, but uh, we'll see. Like I said, um, I think most of the major criticisms from both sides are wrong. <laughs> um, they're uh, generally inaccurate, and they're the ones that I see repeated most often. So hopefully this is a good, all right, let's open the door and start checking it out um, episode. And I covered some of the stuff, and I, I want to see if I can get maybe Jeremy. I, I sent them both, them both a message. I haven't gotten anything back. Um, but I was thinking of getting uh, Blue Matt and Jeremy on the show to hash this out. I want to hear, I really want to ask both of them a lot of questions and they both seem pretty reasonable. Matt seems pretty open. Um, he's, he's against the way this has unfolded. Um, but I think we could have a really useful discussion. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully they respond and we can actually get this, uh, scheduled. But anyway, um, we're going to close this out here. Uh, we will be covering, many more things about CTV. Like I said, this is barely just scratching the surface to a lot of the things to uncover. I will have a link to bip119.com uh, as well as utxos.org, which are the two resources that I think are have the best introductory stuff. I'm literally going to try to go through all of it if I can. You know, this is my job, so I can actually do this shit all day. Um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to wrap my head around it as much as possible and give you some degree of an informed opinion. And it'd be really great if we could have Matt on the show and, uh, or maybe Adam back, uh, too. Actually, maybe I should send him a message too. Cause I know he has, um, a lot of thoughts on this, um, and Jeremy to pick their brains 
Um, and hopefully, hopefully we can figure this shit out. Because I know a lot of people feel lost. Um, and, you know, that's what Bitcoin Audible was about, right? Let's uh, turn a light on so it's not so damn confusing. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Sorry that my voice has been shot. Weird little just like sore throat um, and like congestion. Uh, nothing to worry about. I don't have COVID. I don't have a fever or anything like that. Um, but uh, I hope to be back in full action and back on my audiobooks in the next day or two. I'm improving pretty quick. Um, there's only really about one really bad day. And then today is congestion and clearing up. So we'll get there. Huge thanks to my sponsors who let me do this all day and just spend hours and hours reading about CTV because what else would you want to do with your day? Um, that is the BitBox hardware wallet and Swamp Bitcoin. These guys are Bitcoiners through and through. They're great companies. They got great products and I highly recommend them. With or without a sponsorship, I would absolutely recommend both their products and services. Um, so uh, a huge thank you to those guys and I feel good that I have uh, sponsors that I can just say I use and I like and who also help keep the lights on and keep this show running for you guys even when I'm a little bit under the weather, weather and uh, can't really can't really talk so <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for listening I am Guy Swan this is Bitcoin Audible until next time everybody take it easy guys You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.